Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. It's time for Justice Matters with former federal prosecutor and MSNBC analyst Glenn Kirshner. Today, Glenn takes a break from his usual justice stories to talk about a new two-part documentary premiering on Peacock TV called Who Killed Robert Wan? Many years ago, Glenn investigated, indicted, and tried in court the people who attempted to cover up the murder. And now, with his new documentary, he hopes to uncover more clues to finally solve the murder of Robert Wan. Here's Glenn. So friends, today I want to do something a little bit different than we ordinarily do in these Daily Justice Matters chats, you know, talking about Donald Trump's never-ending crime spree, talking about how Donald Trump is at this point probably the most investigated and least prosecuted person in the history of our nation. I want to set all that aside just for one day, and I want to talk about a different kind of justice story. And it involves the unsolved murder of a young man named Robert Wan. There is a two-part documentary that is premiering on Peacock TV, and it is titled, Who Killed Robert Wan? I participated in the documentary because I investigated the murder of Robert Wan. I indicted three men, not for the murder of Robert Wan, but for covering up the murder of Robert Wan. And I am hopeful that people will watch this two-part documentary and will know something, will have some information, will have some evidence, and will share it with us, with the police, with the homicide detectives in Washington, D.C., and will help us, quite frankly, answer the question of who killed Robert Wan. I'm going to talk for just a few minutes about the case, give you a little bit of background, and then what I want to do, friends, is read just one paragraph, the first paragraph of the affidavit in support of the arrest warrant that we obtained in this case. What is an affidavit in support of an arrest warrant? Well, when we investigate a case, this is when I was a homicide prosecutor in Washington, D.C., and I was working with the homicide detectives and a team of law enforcement agents investigating the murder of Robert Wan. When we get to a point where we believe we have enough evidence to seek an arrest warrant, we put it all in an affidavit. Contains the facts, the evidence, the information. The detective swears to that affidavit, and then we present it to a judge. And we see if the judge agrees that there is probable cause to arrest somebody for a particular crime. All I want to do today is read the first paragraph of what is a very lengthy affidavit to sort of set up what you will see in this two-part documentary, Who Killed Robert Wan. Let me give you a little bit of backstory, friends. 
Robert Wan was a very accomplished, beloved young man, young lawyer, who had just started a job as general counsel at Radio Free Asia here in Washington, D.C. As a matter of work convenience, because he was going to have to go in and meet the night shift at Radio Free Asia, he was going to have to go in at like five in the morning. He had a friend from law school who lived just a matter of blocks away from his new job, and he asked if he could stay at his friend's house just as a matter of work convenience. He'd never stayed over there before. Now, who was Robert Wan's friend? Whose house did he stay over? It was a home that belonged to three men. It was an expensive, well-appointed, high-end home in Northwest Washington, D.C., in the 1500 block of Swan Street Northwest. And it belonged to a guy named Joe Price, a guy named Victor Zaborski, and a guy named Dylan Ward. Those three men lived together in that high-end, expensive, well-appointed home in the 1500 block of Swan Street. Robert Wan arrived at their house, this is back in 2006, to spend the night, and within about an hour or an hour and a half, Victor Zaborski, one of the residents, was placing a 911 call saying, our friend has been stabbed in our guest room. Send an ambulance. And when the ambulance arrived, the first emergency personnel on the scene came across something that was unlike anything they had ever seen before. Robert Wan, dead, in a bed, in a guest room on the second floor of that home, lying ramrod straight, with the covers folded down underneath him at a 45 degree angle, and he had three gaping chest wounds with no blood on his torso. That is the beginning of what would become this incredible journey, odyssey, for first and foremost, the family members, the friends, the community that loved Robert and his family, and me as a prosecutor and my team of homicide detectives, because the three men who lived in that house, Joe Price, Victor Zaborski, and Dylan Ward, it became apparent, had no interest in assisting law enforcement, in assisting the prosecutors, in answering the question, who killed Robert Wan? So I investigated it for years, and I could never develop enough evidence to apply for an arrest warrant for the murder of Robert Wan. Because these three guys had been covering it up, and I had to decide do I let it go? Do I leave it there? Guess what I decided? No. We put together an application for an arrest warrant for these three men for obstructing justice, for covering up the murder of Robert Wan. And we presented it to a judge, and a judge agreed there was enough evidence that these three men were obstructing justice. Against that backdrop, let me read, friends, just the first paragraph of what I said is a very lengthy affidavit in support of the arrest warrant for Joe Price, Victor Zaborski, and Dylan Ward. And then we will be talking more in the future about who killed Robert Wan. Here is how the affidavit opens. In the late evening hours of August 2nd, 2006, 
Robert Wan was murdered inside a residence located at 1509 Swan Street, Northwest in Washington, D.C. The known occupants of the residence present at the time of the murder were Joe Price, Victor Zaborski, and Dylan Ward. And then under the heading, the call to 911, the affidavit reads, at 11.49 p.m. on August 2, 2006, Victor Zaborski called 911 and reported that an intruder had stabbed a guest in their home. Emergency personnel were immediately dispatched to the location. When asked by the 911 operator whether they needed police, fire, or ambulance, Zaborski requested only an ambulance. Within the first 90 seconds of the call, Zaborski related to the 911 operator, quote, we think it was somebody, an intruder in the house. We heard a chime, the door, close quote. Zaborski's comments to the 911 operator suggest that he had talked with the other residents in the house before placing the call in that he represented things that we saw and we heard allegedly before discovering Mr. Juan had been attacked. The operator then told Zaborski to, quote, get a dry cloth, apply pressure to that area where he was stabbed. Even if the towel is saturated with blood, just get another towel and put it on top of that. Never lift the first towel off the area. Hold it on. Once it gets filled up with blood, just put another towel on top of that and just apply pressure until the paramedics arrive. Zaborski responded, my partner is holding it, a towel on there. He's applying pressure. The operator further instructed, quote, just keep applying pressure. You need to hold it there until the paramedics get there. During the 911 call, Zaborski asked the operator, what time is it? To which the operator responded, 2354, 11.54 p.m. Without prompting, Zaborski then volunteered that, quote, the person had one of our knives. Approximately five minutes and 40 seconds into the call, Zaborski indicated that emergency personnel have arrived on the scene. Now friends, as I say, that is just the first paragraph of a very lengthy affidavit in support of an arrest warrant, and we'll be talking about it more in future videos. But I do hope people will tune in to the two-part documentary that is premiering on Peacock TV. Importantly, there will be a tip line that um, will be included in the documentary so that anyone who has any information, anyone who may have spoken with these three individuals since the murder occurred back in 2006, anyone with information, hopefully will take advantage of that tip line drop a dime, as we used to say back in the olden days, and provide whatever information you might have. Because justice matters. Coming up next, there's more info being released about Fox News hosts scrambling in panic to counter attacks from Donald Trump and his supporters after they were the first network to call the 2020 election for Biden. They're still trying to this day. This is Justice Matters.
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Fox News host Tucker Carlson is being heavily criticized on both sides of the aisle after saying the 2020 election was rigged and cherry-picking select clips from the January 6th footage and making the claim it was a peaceful protest. Here's Glenn. So friends, the Fox network is the un-American, undemocratic gift that just keeps on giving. New York Times reporter Peter Baker somehow got a hold of a recording of a Zoom meeting. A Zoom meeting that was attended by Fox executives and Fox anchors in the days after Fox called the 2020 presidential election for Joe Biden. And when I read Peter Baker's reporting, all I could say was, wow. Here is some of that New York Times article by Peter Baker. Headline, Inside the Panic at Fox News After the 2020 Election. And that article begins, A little more than a week after television networks called the 2020 presidential election for Joe Biden, top executives and anchors at Fox News held an after-action meeting to figure out how they had messed up. Not because they had gotten the key call wrong, but because they had gotten it right. And they had gotten it right before anyone else. Typically, it's a point of pride for a news network to be the first to project election winners. But Fox is no typical news network. And in the days following the 2020 vote, it was besieged with angry protests, not only from President Donald Trump's camp, but from its own viewers, because it had called the battleground state of Arizona for Mr. Biden. Never mind that the call was correct. Fox executives worried that they would lose viewers to hard-right competitors like Newsmax. And so, on Monday, November 16, 2020, Suzanne Scott, the chief executive of Fox News Media, and Jay Wallace, the network's president, convened a meeting for an extraordinary discussion with an unusual goal, according to a recording of the call reviewed by the New York Times, how to keep from angering the network's conservative audience again by calling an election for a Democrat before the competition. Can't you just see it, friends? At Fox, a call went out, emergency meeting. We have to see 
how we messed up by getting it right, by accurately informing the American people who won the election. You know, friends, when I read that, it prompted me to post the following. Fox calling for an emergency meeting to discuss how they messed up by correctly calling the election for Biden is like a team of surgeons calling an emergency meeting at the conclusion of the surgery to discuss how they messed up by saving the patient. Fox endangers America. But not to worry, friends, because it looks like Fox anchor Tucker Carlson is hard at work fixing the problem, the problem of getting things right. Because now what he's doing is he's playing isolated snippets of video from January 6th, and he's back on the job of misleading his audience. For example, this new reporting from CNN, Tucker Carlson claimed that new Capitol security footage taken on January 6th shows Jacob Chansley, known as the QAnon shaman, you remember that particular idiot, showing Jacob Chansley walking through the Capitol without pushback from police. Now, mind you, Chansley pleaded guilty to a felony charge of obstructing the Electoral College proceedings on January 6th and was sentenced to 41 months in prison. So even Jacob Chansley acknowledged in court under oath by pleading guilty that he committed a pretty significant felony in his determination to overthrow our democracy, to stop the certification of Joe Biden's win. But Tucker Carlson played for his audience an isolated clip, a moment in time when apparently the police were not trying to put hands on the QAnon shaman. Well, let's remember that the police officers were outnumbered something like a thousand to one. So is it surprising that there are some clips of what happened on January 6th that involve police officers not putting hands on every insurrectionist at every moment that day. I guess, you know, a police officer should have put his hands on Jacob Chansley only to have a thousand rioters on his back. You know, I think the chief of the Capitol Police got it right in responding to Tucker Carlson's absurd and obscene misleading spin. This from the Washington Post. Capitol Police Chief blasts Tucker Carlson over misleading January 6th footage. And that article begins, after watching the first installment of Fox News host Tucker Carlson's look at Capitol surveillance video from the January 6th riot, U.S. Capitol Police Chief Tom Manger sent out a memo to his department Tuesday morning denouncing the show as filled with offensive and misleading conclusions. The claim by Carlson that Capitol Police served as tour guides for Jacob Chansley, the horn-wearing QAnon shaman, was outrageous and false, Manger wrote. He said that the Capitol Police were badly outnumbered on January 6th and that those officers did their best 
to use de-escalation tactics to try to talk rioters into getting each other to leave the building. Some of the video aired by Carlson showed Chansley being accompanied by several Capitol Police officers as they walked through the hall during the riot. One of the officers was previously featured in a 2021 HBO documentary, Four Hours at the Capitol, and said that the sheer number of them compared to us, I knew ahead there was no way we could all get physical with them, so I took it upon myself to try to talk to them. The officer is then seen on video walking behind Chansley as Chansley walks into the Senate chamber. You know, friends, Tucker Carlson showing video clips in isolation is nothing more than sleight of hand, intending to deceive. It actually reminded me of when I was trying cases and I was fortunate enough to have video surveillance of the crime being committed. That happens sometimes. And to meet the force of that really damaging video evidence, the defense would sometimes offer a video clip from earlier in the day, maybe an hour before the offense, showing the defendant doing something completely innocuous, maybe going through the drive-through at McDonald's, getting himself a burger. And the defense would argue, see, he's not doing anything wrong there. He's not committing any crimes there. Yeah, that's just a little bit of sleight of hand intending to deceive and jurors saw right through it. Now, I don't know how gullible or how easily manipulated Tucker Carlson thinks his audience is. I know he doesn't respect them because if he did, he wouldn't mislead them. And I do think we also need to call on the executive branch and its many agencies to do something, you know, find a way to push back. FCC, if you're listening, find a way to address the dangerous lies that Tucker Carlson and the Fox Network continue to spread. Because justice matters. Friends, as always, please stay safe, please stay tuned, and I look forward to talking with you all again soon. For more on Glenn, go to Glenn Kirshner 2 on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. This is Justice Matters.